Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Good morning, everybody. How is everybody on this long weekend that we all get to have? Everybody good? Are you sure? Like, I don't know what just happened, but I'm, I don't want to say disappointed because I feel like it's a little strong, but we'll work on it. We got plenty of time to interact this morning. But I'm excited to be here because One Hope Kids, all of y'all are in the room this morning. And if you don't know me, I am Skylar and I am the One Hope Students Youth Pastor here. And for the little kids, like you'll eventually get to come be with us on Sunday nights and I am excited about that. But why I have the stage, Misty already gave you one sign for all the parents in the room. I'm about to give you sign number two is that NTS camp is only two weeks away. And what I want to ask you guys to do for us is this, is if you're not familiar with NTS camp, it is a week that our students get to be poured into by an amazing staff, an amazing team of people who know that the gospel message is important for youth. And that week is filled with crazy games, great opportunities to connect with us as a youth ministry, and we just get to invest in some amazing teenagers that we get to take to camp this year. But we all know going into weeks like this, it requires a lot of prayer. Past the crazy games at the bottom line, we want students to come back impacted and changed and invested in and knowing that they're loved by a God that we know loves us. So if you guys could join me for the next few weeks just to pray. Pray for our students, pray for our travels, and pray for the amazing leaders who are taking a week and coming and serving where we won't get very much sleep, but just pray for each of those parts of camp because it's important and that's what makes it happen. So, and also if you're a parent and still want to send your kid, we can talk after because I'd love to get him signed up. But, so this morning we are continuing our James series. Scott wrapped up chapter two last week and I was tasked with speaking on James three, which if you're familiar with the book of James is that today's all about taming the tongue. And when I was given my scripture for this morning, like, can, can I be honest? Like, I wasn't excited. I was just like, really? Like, this one? Like, can we switch? Like, can we do something else? But it was a strong, like, no, this is the one you're talking about today. Because taming the tongue isn't easy. Like, is, it is an impossible feat. And I walked into this message going like, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And as I wrestled with it and I talked about it and just thought through it when I talked with Aaron and just some other people, I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go. Like, I don't have a clear direction of what I'm supposed to say. And a couple weeks ago, Sybil, we read books to her every night before bed. And the book she picked that night was a book called The Book With No Pictures. Right? And if you're a parent in the room and you're familiar with it, you know how this book works. It's written by B.J. Novak, who is also a writer for The Office. And what he understands as a writer is that words are powerful. And that the tongue has a powerful point in a story. Like, it's what we use to communicate. It's how we deliver a message. And what this book does is it establishes a rule right, off the, right on the first page, I'm reading to Sybil, and the first page goes, as I'm reading to you, I'm responsible to say every single word in this book. Like, every single word I'm responsible for saying, and like, you're reading this, and you're like, this sounds ridiculous, because you don't think, like, the kid's going to engage, because there are no pictures. 
But what happens is the longer you read, the more ridiculous this book becomes. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm feeling like a fool reading this book to my daughter before bedtime. Because at one point, this book is just littered with a bunch of sound effects like blork and blurp and bloop. And it's just like, what am I saying right now? But what's amazing is even though there's no pictures, Sybil is engaged. She's laughing and she's smiling and she's not even looking at a single thing and she's just hearing and responding to what she's being read. Granted, as the parent, like when you leave the room after finishing the bedtime routine, you're like, what did I just read? But she loved it because the words have power. Regardless of how ridiculous they are, in that moment, Sybil was engaged because it made her smile and it made her laugh, because we all know this. The things we do can build people up and just make them feel good and make them feel warm and make them feel cherished and loved. But what struck me as I left that room thinking about that book is that on the flip side, though, words have power to hurt, to tear down, to destroy, to whatever you think of, that's what words can do. And that's what makes this morning so challenging because it's like, how do you deliver a message where it's like, hey, we can do really well with this or do really poorly with this? And we all have our moments. Because I imagine most of us in this room have said things where as soon as they came out of our mouth, we were like, well, shouldn't have said that one today. But we've also had moments where we've said things that you know made an impact on somebody else. And in James 3, as we dive into it this morning, James says to us that not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal— or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I sat and wrestled this week. Wrestled with those 12 verses because I was like, there's two directions we could go. We could just dive right in as James does and just go like, these are the areas we need to get better in and none of us are good at it. But I sat with Scott this week, and I was just talking through this message and thinking through it. And what Scott challenged me to do is breathe into the opportunity that James gives us. Because on the surface level, it just sounds like James is like, we're all messing up, y'all need to get better, figure it out, and we're just going to move on. But I think what James is communicating is more than that. 
It's more than just a list of things to do and not to do. And as I started shifting my perspective, what I realized is James is communicating a message that has been communicated before. Not just by Jesus, but in Old Testament times, the power of the tongue is not a foreign concept. Not to any of us either. We know that the power of our words have, so I jumped back into the Old Testament and found a handful of verses that just kind of stood out to me. So the first one's from Psalms. And it says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18 is probably my favorite. And it says, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So, like, I picked the message version because I was like, man, that one is just very empowering. But, and then our last verse you who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. It's not a foreign concept. The audience is already aware of what it can do. Why is James reiterating? Why is James coming back to a topic that they have heard countless numbers of times? And reading this verse in the entire picture of the book of James, we're at a turning point. We're at this point where James is starting to shift where he, what he's talking about, and this is where he wraps up this what do we need to get better at portion. And then I took a step back. I was like, what is he trying to say? Because it's easy to hear this and go, well, James is a little frustrated and mad, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think James is saying this from a place of frustration, because what if James is coming from a place with his God-inspired word where he loves the church, where he loves God's people, and he has such a desperation for people to grab a hold of what this message is, is he's going, what is it going to take for you to understand? What if he just wants to see God's church come alive and grow and bloom, and he's going, guys, we need to get this or none of it else is going to work? Because I don't think it's an accident that chapter 3 came after chapter 2. Scott wrapped up last week talking about faith and works and how important that is. But what if James is wrapping it up with words because he knows we can get the rest of it right, but if our words do not match what we're doing, none of it matters. What if the words that we're saying aren't matching up the serving that we're doing and everybody sees that and it's like, what kind of life are they living? How is our service matching our words? Because I think that's the point of it. And Scott last week set me up perfectly with his first point, and it said this. Faith needs to be seen, not just spoken. So and in bringing that into this week, is if your faith is seen and your words don't match your works, it's all for naught. Because we can live out the faith, but if our words aren't lining up, what good is it? What good is it? And James starts off in chapter 3, verse 1, where he's addressing the leaders. He's addressing the leaders of the church because right now there's a desperate attempt to become leaders in this church. In the church as a whole, people are fighting to be in a place of influence. And what people are doing is they're sacrificing their convictions and the truth that they're speaking just to get ahead. And we know the power that words have, right? Right? And we've seen it even today in 2022 that leaders rise and fall on the words that they say. 
We see it everywhere. It is not foreign. And James is starting there because he's like, look, if you guys don't get it right, where's the crowd going to follow? Where's the crowd going to go if you're not up there speaking the truth that we're called to speak? And then he goes on in, chap- in, section, in verse 2, excuse me. And he looks at it and he's like, look, if you have your whole body figured out and all that in control, the tongue's not going to be a problem. You're going to be perfect. But the irony is, is he knows that there's only been one perfect person who's walked this earth, who had it all together from beginning to end. And that was Jesus. And I want to pause for a second. I love the book of James. But you know what I wish the book of James had was like a prelude where it's like, what was it like growing up with Jesus? Because we know Jesus was the favorite kid. Like, what was that like? Like, but really, like, those are just some musings that I have when I read this book. But to continue, verse 3 is where it shifts to all of us. To all of the listeners, this is where it all starts applying. And looking through the lens of James just wanting to get his point across and for us to understand as he starts out with two powerful illustrations over our control over animals and our control over ships and boats with just a simple rudder. So sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I get kind of hung up on stuff, so I go to the best source of them all, Google. And my first, first search is, how do you determine the size of a rudder in comparison to a boat? Because, like, I don't know anything about boats. Like, I've been on one, but, like, that's pretty much it. Like, that is my experience. I'm like, there's got to be an equation. Not that I would understand what the equation meant, but there's got to be something simple. But there's not, unfortunately. So I was like, I need real-world examples right now. So I thought about the Titanic, right? And we know the story on its maiden voyage, hits an iceberg and sinks. But the Titanic was 883 feet long. Like, think about this. This ship is massive. And then, of course, my train of thought is, how big is the rudder? Like, I'm not assuming anybody has this written down, but it was like the first line in Google, and I was like, yes, like, I am on to something right now. So... Let me look at my notes because I don't want to mess this one up. The rudder was 78 feet high, right? So 883 feet long. The rudder is 78 feet high and 15 feet long. So it's huge, but in comparison to the size of the entire ship, it is small, right? It's only a fraction of the size of what this boat is, and this one thing controls the direction of the entire boat. But I think the irony is, and especially talking about it this morning, is the direction in which it went led to it sinking. Because that's the final illustration that James is trying to get across, is that wherever our words direct us and guide us, it can send us down a path that we're not supposed to be walking. It can destroy anything in its path. So, Here's opportunity number two of audience participation this morning. I need you to finish this phrase for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... There we go. Now y'all are here. But words will never hurt me. Like, think about that for a second. And that's something we share with kids a lot, right? Like, I was bullied a lot in elementary school and middle school, and I remember my mom just reiterating that. 
Like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But what is it that sticks with you the longest? It's those words that were said to you, right, that hurt you and that tore you down and didn't build you up. Those are the things that stick with you over the years because words have power. And I imagine if James heard that, he would be like, no. Like that is not accurate and that is not true because words have the power to destroy from beginning to end. And Sybil started talking a while back and where are all my parents in the room right now? Like, can I just get a show of hand? Where are all my parents at? Kids learning to talk is a very fun age. Like, some of y'all are giggling already because you're like, I know where this is going. But what happens? Like, after that first mama or dada, you're like, uh-oh. Now I have to be really careful with the, what the words I choose are, right? Like, but can we just admit that we've all said stuff in front of our kids where we're like, hope they don't repeat that one tomorrow. And just thinking about that, and then when they do repeat it, it's like, ooh, like, hope they don't say that one at daycare or church or wherever. But why is it as a parent, when they do repeat it, we go, they shouldn't be saying that. But we have this gut feeling that we know we shouldn't have said it in the first place either. And for all my kids, like, I'm not going to leave y'all out because this is just as important for you as it is for the adults in the room. Is that what I know is that kids and students and teens can make an impact to change everything. Right? Like, we as adults are still trying to figure this out, but what if you, where you are now, started working towards it? Starting to work towards taming the tongue because you know the words that you have have power. What does the world start looking like if you specifically start choosing your words differently? Where they become more positive and encouraging, building people up, and no longer just using them to tear people down. How does your schools and your homes and everywhere else start looking if you made that decision? Because we, we know words have power, right? And when the Bible uses a fire illustration, you for sure use a fire illustration during your message on Sunday mornings. But we know the power of fire. Fire gives you a level of responsibility because as soon as that match is lit, you know you have the responsibility not to drop it, right? You're cautious and you're aware that, hey, like, I could burn something down. Or you could destroy something because what happens? Fire catches something else on fire and then something else. And then sooner or later, it spreads so out of control that we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything to put it out once it starts going. And the same thing with words is if we say some offhand remark to somebody, it changes the direction of where we're going. Because you can't put out a fire once it gets going. Once it gets so big, you have no control anymore. And James is so desperate to get us to understand this is that he goes on and on and on about these illustrations just for us to get a glimpse of why this is so important. But what, on the flip side of just looking at what they can do, they also have the power to build up. 
Because our tongues can destroy others, but our tongues can also encourage and build others up too. What if we not only looked at these 12 verses and go, well, I don't have it figured out, but what if we looked at them and go, this is an opportunity for us to change, for us to do things differently, to think differently, and to go, I'm going to choose my words carefully because I know what they can do. What I love about the last three verses in the book of James, not the entire book, chapter 3, from 10, 11, and 12, he starts giving examples of what your tongue does do and the other thing it tries to do. And thinking in the big picture, though, is that we come to church on Sunday and praise and worship, but if we left here and started using our words however we wanted, what reflection of Jesus are we giving? What reflection of the church are we giving if we say things on Sunday morning that are entirely different than the things we say on Monday? What picture are we painting for who Jesus is and who the church is? Because what James knows is that we have the responsibility to reflect Christ not only in our faith and our works, but also our words. We have the responsibility to model Christ in all things, not just a couple. And sometimes when I'm reading the scripture, I like transporting the author to the year we're in. And if James was in 2022 writing this, I think he'd add something else. I think he'd also add, because we've all been on social media, right? And we know whatever's posted on social media, everybody sees. I think James would tack on is that we need to be cautious of what we're posting because everybody sees the example that you're setting. Everybody sees the words we post there too, and that is why we need to tread lightly and tread carefully. Because to model Christ isn't just in our faith and our works, but it's in our words. And I learned this lesson like years ago. Back in 2015, I had the opportunity to work in construction, which I'm gonna pause. Is I've shared that with people and they're like, you worked construction? I'm like, I'm a little insulted by that, but like, is that fair? They're like, really? And I'm like, why would I lie? Like, it was a good season, though, and it's a season that I look back on going, I learned how to do ministry there. And I remember my first job site that I worked on was outside of Indianapolis, and working on it, like, you just kind of get thrown into the deep end. I was a laborer on a job site working with bricklayers and masons, and my responsibility was to make sure everybody had everything they needed. Like, that was my job. And there's not a training course. Like, your foreman just looks at you and goes, you're working there, figure it out. Okay, like, let's see what I can do. But I was lucky enough to land on a wall with a guy named Jim. Jim was a great guy. Like, Jim and I built a great relationship when we, as we worked together. And But let me describe Jim for you. Jim was like 6'5", six, 6'6". And he was intimidating. Like, Jim was a little scary. And when Jim was like, hey, how can I help? Like, I was taken aback. It was like, this guy wants to help me. And what Jim did is he took a break from laying brick that day and started showing me the ropes of how to do my job. And as Jim and I started talking, he just started getting to know me, asking me questions like, how did you end up here? And I told him, yeah, I'm just waiting until I have the opportunity to get into youth ministry. Like, I'm waiting for my 
the door to open up for me. And at that point, he goes, oh, you're a pastor. And I'm like, yeah. And then from that day forward, my nickname on the job site became Preacher. So if that was ever hollered, I wasn't doing my job right. But then it just kind of hit me on my drive home that day. Is they know what I believe now. They're watching and seeing, but they also are listening. I had the opportunity to model Christ and show them who Christ was, not only in my actions, but I needed to be cautious of my words. Because what is the model that I'm setting if they're seeing me serve like Jesus does, but they hear me talking entirely differently? What does my example of Christ start looking like? And James even says it throughout this scripture and throughout this story, throughout these verses. If you tear them down, lay them down line by line, he uses the word we in almost every single verse. And what I think is important about that is James isn't going, you, 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 you have to figure it out. He's going, we have to get this right. It's communal, it's together. He's not set separating people going like, you have this wrong, you have this right. He goes, no, we need to do this. Because my question is this morning is, what does the world start looking like if we start using our voices like Christ used his? What do our lives start looking like? What does everything around us start looking like? Our homes, our schools, our workplaces— And what does taming the tongue look like for you? Does that mean stop gossiping about that person? Does it mean stop lying to parents, teachers, bosses, whoever? Does it just simply mean stop being rude? What is that for you? Because I think this morning we need to identify that because we all have something different. We all have something we struggle with. What does taming the tongue look like for you today? And as we wrap up here in a second, I want you to really chew on that and think about that and think about that question, the opportunity that we have not to leave here discouraged, but leave here encouraged knowing that James believed in us enough that he tried to drive this home again that he tried to empower us, to give us the power, going, just be careful and be cautious because your words have power, but you can use them for good too. Because we have a good God and a God of second chances. And what's interesting to me is in verse 8, the first three words in that verse say, but no human. But none of us on our own can tame our tongue. None of us by ourselves can do it but God can. And what if we absolutely surrendered our words this morning and go, God, make me better at the words that I choose and the words that I use and let me model you not only in my works and in my faith, but also in my words. What does life start looking like? Because words have power and we have an opportunity to start showing Jesus in our conversations too. Because our words matter just as much as the faith we live and the works we do. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. 
and thank you for everybody who is here. God, and we just praise you for everything that you do and the heart that you have and the love that you have for us. God, and I pray that this This conversation isn't one that discourages, but one that empowers and encourages us, knowing that you love us so much that you want us to grow. And that you want us to shine for you, not only in our service, in our hearts, but in our words and our conversations too, Lord. God, and I even stand up here going, I know I need to grow. God, and I, cha- and I pray that you challenge all of us, even today, to be cautious of what we say and the words that we choose. God, you're a powerful God and a God who loves us and adores us and one who forgives us greatly. God, we surrender this time to you. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.